Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet toward the end of the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 14. Jeremiah 29, 4 to 14. I hope you're enjoying this long holiday weekend, a notable holiday in this land, Independence Day, back on Friday the 4th of July. We all love long weekends, but serious discussion of the significance of this national holiday is guaranteed to bring out some differences among us. For some, the connection between Christianity and the founding of this country is so close that it's hard to separate our patriotism from our faith. After all, biblical principles are woven into the fabric of America from the beginning. The resistance which produced the Revolutionary War was fueled by sermons from colonial pulpits. And evidence of those Christian roots are literally etched in stone to this day in the public buildings and monuments of our nation. But for others of us, that patriotic spirit among Christians is thought to be tantamount to idolatry. Some accept the modern political perspective that those connections between faith and the nation are insignificant or even non-existent. Others who consider various actions of our nation to be immoral seek to disengage their faith from the national life lest it be compromised. And others, especially those whose homeland was elsewhere, just find that connection of faith and country foreign to their experience. Like I said, there are serious differences between us on what is actually the larger issue of the relationship between Christ and culture in this land. Well, we won't solve all those problems. We won't solve any of those problems this morning, though they certainly make for lively discussion if you want to really get into it with your friends sometimes. But whatever our position on these issues, we all find ourselves in a similar situation. We are Christians living in a nation that is today certainly far, far from perfect, far from Christian. So this morning I want us to consider a text which has bearing on how we are to think about this land in which we live. Before we read the text, let me just remind you of the historical setting in which it was written. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians overran the land of Judah and its capital city, Jerusalem, and carried off thousands and thousands of God's people as captives back to Babylon. Now, it's some time later. God's people are sitting in Babylon as exiles, wondering what's going to happen next. Some are in despair. Some are hopeful. Most just don't know what to think. And into that situation, the prophet Jeremiah wrote a letter and sent it to them. And that letter is what we're going to read and talk about this morning. Isaiah, Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord, or this is the letter. 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which, you, to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, what, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners deceive, uh, among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And there we'll stop our reading. Let me suggest three things that the Lord uh, teaches us from this passage. The first is this. This land is not your land. This land is not your home not your home. Every Christian probably knows that Jesus, before he ascended, promised that he was going to prepare a place for us, though you and I have never even seen that new home. But these ancient uh, Jewish people had been to and lived in their ancient God-given home. And this land of Babylon, which they lived, was certainly not home for them. Oh, but not to worry. The prophets all around were telling them that their return to their home was imminent. The God who gave you that ancient homeland could not possibly intend for you to have to live here in Babylon. In fact, it seems the majority of the prophets, both in Babylon and back in Judah, were telling the people to stay packed and ready to go. Don't settle down. Don't unpack. We're not here for long. And we, like them, have voices proclaiming the Lord is coming soon to take you home. Don't even unpack your life in this place. And how could it not be true? Surely God wants his people where his temple is, where he has chosen his name to dwell, where he is. And and, and that was not Babylon. It was not their home. The scriptures plainly say so. Now, our situation is different, but nonetheless parallel, for this land is not really our home either. We may have been born here. We may have deep roots here. We are legally citizens here. But if we are in Christ, this is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. We are part of the new creation. So the Bible calls us aliens and sojourners and strangers and pilgrims here. 
It's true. We're just passing through. Like the exiles in Babylon, we too need to remember this land is not our home. So the Bible tells us clearly, do not love this world. Though there's much to love, it's beauty, it's freedoms, it's wealth, it's comforts, it's pleasures. Do not love this world. The Bible says do not become entangled in its affairs. The Bible says do not allow yourself to be pressed into its mold of conformity. The Bible says do not set your heart on its treasures. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this land is not your treasured home. Christians like us living in a rather free and affluent place often have trouble remembering this. For when things are going well, we wonder what could possibly be better than this. It seems that only when trouble comes, poverty or persecution or pain, only then do we really come to grips with the fact that this land is not our home. But those exiles in Babylon were already in the midst of trouble. When Jeremiah wrote this letter, they knew that that land was not their home. So they were undoubtedly surprised when Jeremiah went on to say something quite different than what all the other prophets were saying. Which brings us to our second point. Make yourself at home here. Make yourself at home here. There are many ways Jeremiah could have told God's people to be patient for their in for a long stay. And indeed they were. Seventy years this captivity was going to go on. That's a lifetime. Few of those who were taken to Babylon would ever come back. They were in Babylon for the rest of their lives. Consider Daniel, for example. We know Daniel was probably taken to Babylon. He was a young man, probably 20 years old, maybe. There he lived and worked in government service. Always struggling with what it meant to be one of God's people in the midst of a pagan land. And sometimes it uh, became an issue, like the time when he was told he couldn't pray anymore to anybody uh, But the king, and he opened the windows and prayed just like he always did, and they threw him in the lion's den for that. He wasn't 25, though. He was 80 or more then. His whole life had been lived in Babylon, a place that was not his home, but he never went home. So Jeremiah, in a very direct, down-home kind of language, told these exiles to make themselves at home in Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant a garden and plan to be there to harvest it when the time comes. Find spouses for your kids, enjoy their weddings, and look expectantly for the grandkids. He even goes further, and here it gets controversial. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. That's pagan city where you live. Pray for it, because when it prospers, you will prosper. And then he told it, and don't let any zealous prophet tell you otherwise. You make yourself at home there. 
That sounds pretty secular, doesn't it? Sounds like maybe Jeremiah had lost his biblical hope. There are reasons to think that this was a bad idea. The Babylonian leaders were apparently promoting such a view. They were saying, you're in Babylon now. This is your life. Just enjoy it. You're not going home. So the Jews in exile were not chained up as slaves. They had no legal rights, but they lived in communities. They moved about with relative freedom. Indeed, the Jewish envoys who carried this letter went back and forth freely between um, uh, uh, Judah and uh, Babylon uh, with the knowledge of the Babylonian officials. Apparently, the Babylonians wanted to maintain strong ties between those Jews there in Babylon and those back home in, Ju- in Judah. It helped promote, promote a sense of subservience and a willingness to pay taxes, I suspect. So when Jeremiah writes this, could he be kind of getting into some kind of compromise? Had he lost his zeal for God's promise to restore his people and to rebuild his temple and all that? Oh, no. Jeremiah always seemed to be out of step with the other prophets. Before the Babylonians came, you remember the other prophets were saying, peace, 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 it's all okay. God won't let anything happen to us. Hey, the temple is here. God would not allow anything to happen to the city where his temple is. Jeremiah said, no, no, no. God's judgment is coming. You're going to be captured and carried off. Well, Jeremiah was right. They came, they destroyed the temple, they carried them off by the thousands. And now here again, he's saying the wrong thing. Except that he was right before, and he's right again. So while the other prophets were saying, God will quickly send us back, Jeremiah wrote, you make yourself at home where he put you. And I suggest God still says that to us. We're certainly to wait expectantly for Christ's coming, but we're not to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. The truth is the Lord Jesus may be a long time coming. Well, he's already been a long time coming. Christians have been waiting for 2,000 years for his return, and he hasn't returned yet. But remember, Jesus commended the servants who invested their talents wisely rather than just bury them and wait for the master to come back. Remember how he told uh, of the ten virgins waiting for the, the, uh, the bridegroom. Five of them had been wise and prepared for a long haul. Five of them were foolish and thought they had no weight at all. And they were totally unprepared. So the truth is we don't know how long it will be till the Lord comes. Though we know this home is not our home, this land is not our home, he calls us to make ourselves at home here. That means we're to seek the health, prosperity, and peace of this nation. Pray for her. Labor to make her a better place. Even in times of great distress and corruption, we're to pray for this land as if it were our final home, though it is not. We're to do our work in a way that will endure for a thousand years, though we expect to be soon with the Lord. We're to use our wisdom and our wealth to build the kingdom of God in this place so that it will endure forever, though right now it looks like a losing enterprise. In short, we are to live in the tension between the already and the not yet. Christ's reign has begun, and we are already part of that heavenly reality. All our hope and expectation is there, but he has not yet taken us home. He has left us here to be salt and light 
in this rotting and dark world. So stop complaining. Stop acting like what happens here doesn't matter. Settle down. Make yourself at home where God put you. So why? Why did God leave his people there in Babylon so long? He could have taken them back right away. Why does he leave us here so long when a glorious eternity awaits us? Well, that brings us to our third and final point. God put you here to bring you to himself. God put you here to bring you to himself. Generations of Christians have clung to the promise of verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that's a wonderful promise, especially in times when it looks as if no one is in charge and our life is headed nowhere. And God says, oh no, it's not up for grabs. I have my plans, and they're good. That's exactly the situation into which this promise was given. Jeremiah had just taken away the people's hope for a speedy return. No, he said, you're going to be here 70 years. That's a lifetime. That meant their hope was dashed of ever having a nation of their own again in their lifetime. That meant they would never have their own king. They would, for the rest of their life, be subjects to a pagan Babylonian king. Worse yet, that means they would probably never again live to see the temple rebuilt. They would never worship in Jerusalem again. Why would God do that? Why? Well, here in verses 12 to 14, he tells us their status as aliens and exiles would make them long for home. The absence of the temple would make them long to worship in God's presence as they used to know. The reality of being cast out of the promised land would cause them to see the greatness of their sin. You see, God was more concerned for the restoration of their hearts than he was for their convenience and their comfort. God put them there that they might come to an end of themselves and be drawn back to him. Do you hear that in verse 13? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Folks, this applies to us as well. We have lived through pretty good times in this country, sometimes so good that we might have imagined this was our final home. And now things are not so good, and they could get worse, even frightening. And then what? 
Has God forgotten us? Were his promises not true? Those are the questions suffering Christians always ask. But here God gives us an answer. I put you here. Wherever here is, I put you here to bring you to myself. Hebrews 12 reminds us that it's those who the Lord loves that he disciplines, and that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, though later on it produces a harvest of righteousness. James 1 explains that God uses trouble and trial to toughen our faith and make us mature and complete, lacking nothing. God is calling us to himself, training us to trust him, producing in us righteousness, and bringing us to glory with himself. And everything is at his disposal to bring about his good plans for us. Even things that cause us pain. As C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But shouts to us in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But through it all, God is simply determined to bring us to himself. That's all. So as we wrap up this weekend, this celebration of our nation's birthday, here are some things to remember. This land is not your home. Whatever you're enjoying or suffering here is not worth comparing with the glory when God takes you to your real home. Secondly, but for now, you need to make your home here. You're here for the rest of your life. Stop complaining and seek to be a blessing in this place. And finally, In the good days, but especially in the bad, never forget God put you here. God deals with you here. God is ordering everything about your life here to bring you to himself. How could we ask for more? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we often wonder why you allow us to uh, 